Jeremy. Um, <clears throat> Jeremy really hyped me up, so. <laughs> um, but uh, I, you know, I'm just so thankful that I get to be in a church where uh, we let everyone play. And you guys let me come and teach every now and then and uh, practice teaching. And um, yeah, so I hope today you guys walk away uh, with something new or a reminder of something old um, or something to take with you this week. So thank you for letting me share with you guys today. Um, you know, uh, Derek and I, my new husband, um, have gotten to experience a lot of these new seasons with Jeremy and Kim, which has been really fun. So dating engagement, we've kind of been running neck and neck with all of those. Um, and we just got to go on our honeymoon last n- month. So we got back from that a month ago. Uh, we went to New Zealand. Y'all, New Zealand is incredible. Um, it's so beautiful. People don't litter there. Like, there's just no trash on the roads, which is baffling uh, in Louisiana, unfortunately. <laughs> Um, so please don't litter today, uh, but <laughs> we had an amazing time. Um, and, but any of you who have been in a foreign country, unless you have a really great international plan on your phone, know that you have to learn to navigate without a cell phone, right? I know this makes me sound like a millennial, but phones are so convenient. And I really pride myself on being well-planned and being able to like figure stuff out when the plan changes, which when you don't have that tool, it makes it a little bit harder. Uh, So Derek and I had just gotten off of a 13-hour flight, uh, 36 hours of travel, totally worth it, but pretty exhausted, and we go to find our rental car company. Okay, spoiler alert, do not get the cheapest rental car. Like, maybe you're really good at navigating so you can get the cheapest rental car. We walk around, we see Budget, we see Alamo. Scotty's rental car was nowhere to be found for some reason. And so we're wandering around the airport, and we go up to a lady in an orange vest, and she just laughs at us when we tell her we got Scotty's car rental. And she's like, you're going to have to call them to come pick you up. We don't have a phone. She's very kind, lets us use her cell phone. And they tell us to go to this statue of this woman in the parking lot. We, an, an unmarked van pulls up, right? And they drive us to an office somewhere in like the warehouse district of Auckland. Um, we're, we're alive, like you guys can see. Um, Derek is also alive. I know he's not here right now, but he is alive too. We have all our organs. We got a rental car. We're 90% sure it was stolen before we rented it. That's another story. <laughs> Um, But one thing they gave us when we bought it uh, was they said, we can rent a GPS to you, right? So we don't have our phones, but we can get around using a GPS. And we were stoked because we haven't used a GPS in like 15 years. Um, And a GPS, don't get me wrong, amazing, amazing technology, right? Like you put in an address, it takes you where you're going to need to go. If you mess up, it can redirect you. Um, But there's some flaws in a GPS. It has to be plugged in to be updated every so often. Um, It doesn't always have new road developments in it. And sometimes uh, stuff like this happens. So we're going to watch a quick clip to see um, when GPS goes wrong.
yeah, so hopefully we, we did not run into any lakes, I promise you. Um, but we know that GPS can sometimes get confused if we don't plug it in to be updated. And sometimes we can take the wrong course, even with the best advice and the best technology. And maps in different forms have been around for a long time. I mean, they've improved and changed over time. So let's talk about the history of maps. Okay, so they believe that the earliest maps were actually cave paintings. So you'd look at a cave painting, you'd see a hill, you'd see some animals, you'd see a river over there. So these are general things about, hey, if you go this way, you'll find some, I don't know, uh, ancient bison, um, there's a river, general guidelines about what to do. Um, this is what they believe is one of the first maps. So this is a Babylonian map and it's similar, right? So here's Babylon, here's the cities, if you go that way, there's an island. If you go that way, there's a mountain, right? And many cultures begin to develop maps to determine where to go. So the Greeks would use observations from other explorers. Um, the Chinese developed a grid system that helped them make fairly accurate maps. Um, and the, their knowledge and ability to make maps changed and grew over time based on better technology, um, and more exploration. So then we get to modern day, and this is the map we normally think of, right? So a paper map. Um, I, like I said, am deeply in the millennial generation. Um, Derek was like, we, he was really frustrated with our GPS. He's like, let's get a paper map and highlight our road and find our way. I was like, no, please no. Like, I just get car sick when I'm trying to read a map. And some people are really good at these maps, which is really cool. Um, but I am from this generation. So the next one, you can see MapQuest, right? So <laughs> MapQuest was great. You could put in your address, um, where you were going. It would give you the exact directions. Did you guys notice that like later on in MapQuest, it's been like, if you start to see this, you've probably gone too far. Like it would give you a good sense of where you were going. Um, but the only problem was if you took a wrong turn, you'd have to totally backtrack, find where you messed up to get where you were going. So then we got what we used on our lovely trip, a GPS. Ours was a lot less nice. It had the name of the rental car company like scratched into it, but we're moving on from that. Um, but the GPS was great. It's an amazing leap. The map is programmed in. It adjusts to your driving. If you mess up, it can help you get back on track. Now we have this, Google Maps. We love Google Maps. How many of you right now are like, that's not the symbol? Like, is that what that looks like? It is. I checked it last night. Um, but this is technology that's constantly and automatically updated without you having to do anything. It's going to tell you the best route to take based on real-time traffic, which is very nice in Baton Rouge, about 3 to 6 o'clock, right? And it has the feature that the GPS is missing. It can tell you pretty much to, within a few minutes when you're going to get to where you're going based on traffic. Okay, and then some of us use this app. Okay, does anyone recognize this? Anyone use Waze? Right. Okay, Waze is really cool, and you can do fun voices on Waze. There's like a boy band voice setting that kind of sings the directions to you. Um, you can do like Star Wars voices on it. It's great. Okay, but I couldn't use Waze for, it was a little intense for me, right? Because what it'll do is it is constantly updating your route as you're going. So it'll be like, okay, go on the interstate. Wait, 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 no, there's an accident. Go on this exit. Just take the exit and get back on the interstate. Okay, now go through this neighborhood. This back alley will get you there really quickly. Right? It's, it's a little much, um, but it's, it's great. Um, 
it tells you exactly when you're going, it changes as you're going there, it gets you there, and it gets you there as fast as possible. Okay, so for those of you who like analogies, you're like, duh, I see where you're going with this, map, voice of God, okay? So because our communication with God, I think sometimes we think of as a map. And the way we hear his leading can be a lot like some of these different types of maps. Some of us see God's voice or, or even the word of God as cave paintings. Here's some general guidelines about where to go um, and what's going to happen if you go this way, but no straightforward path forward. Or maybe the voice of God is like a road map. God's laid everything out for you, but you have to choose what road you're going to take and where you're going and where you're going to end up. Or maybe it's like a GPS. Right? You know the destination, you know what God has called you to, you know some of the steps that you're called to take, but you have no idea when you're going to end up there. Or maybe God speaks to you like the voice of ways, right? Maybe he tells you, go here, talk to this person, do this. No, wait, go back this way, try this again. It's constantly adjusting and updating you with his will for your life. You know what? I don't know what the right answer is. I know that over my life, my um, belief and my experience with God's will has changed and grown and been shaped over time by what I hear in the word, um, the experiences that I've had, and then the wisdom of other people. I know that sometimes I feel like I've heard God telling me to do something and I've done it and it's been amazing. The consequences have been great. And sometimes I've heard thought I heard God tell me something and realized that wasn't really what I was supposed to do. And then sometimes I've made unconscious choices in my life that have led to great things. So I think God speaks to us in different ways throughout our journey in life. Um, what I do know, though, is that regardless of how God speaks to us or the experiences we've had with him, God is with us in the journey. Whether we feel close or far from him, God is with us. So what I want to think about today is how God speaks to us and what we can do to listen for it. Um, in this series, we've talked a lot, a lot about what prevents us from hearing God's voice. You know, this is a world full of distractions. There's competing voices. I think sometimes we don't hear God because we don't trust God. Or sometimes we fear what God is going to ask us to do, and so we try to drown his voice out. I do want to take a second to talk about things that I don't think prevent us from hearing God. And so to do that, we're going to talk a little bit about history. Oh, sorry. We're going to talk a little bit about history, history of maps, history of people, both great things. Um, we're going to talk about a couple lies or fallacies that were around during Jesus' time. So we know that Jesus uh, in the scripture was followed and criticized and questioned by two major groups of people. So these were the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And in some ways, they really represent uh, traps that the modern church will fall into as well. So Christian scholars will call the time between the Old Testament and the New Testament the intertestamental period. So this is a time of several hundred years uh, between when the Old Testament was written and then when we begin to hear the story of Jesus in the New Testament. So in the Old Testament, we have stories of God working in mighty and powerful ways. 
we see the nation of Israel um, and the Jewish people experiencing great favor with God. We've, uh, we see them going through great trauma in their history. But through all of that, God is speaking to them through prophets and through miracles. And then all of a sudden, God just kind of goes silent. He's still speaking to individual people. He's still at work. But the nation of Israel doesn't experience things in the same way uh, that they did before. And so, obviously, they wanted to know why. And from that, these major schools of thought came out. So there's several schools of thought um, in that early or in that period of time that Jesus' ministry begins. But the two major ones that we interact with uh, in the Christian Bible is uh, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, right? So the Pharisees, um, if you've been around church for a while, you know a lot about Pharisees. Basically, they believed that it was improper behavior, it was lack of adherence to the law, and it was mingling with other nations that caused God to stop speaking in the way that he had spoken before. So this leads to the fallacy that our performance and our purity is what determines how close God will get to us. If we can just act better and be better, then God will speak and God will move in powerful ways. But Jesus flipped this upside down. We know that it is his performance and his purity that draws us close. He died on the cross for us and he gave us his own righteousness because he desired to be close to us. So, but then, just as false, the other extreme was the, fa- the false, uh, sorry, the fallacy of the Sadducees. So, the Sadducees believed that the time of mighty works was over just because it was over. Like, God was done speaking in that way. Um, that wasn't the way it was going to be done anymore. So, they believed that they should adopt the ways of the culture around them and maintain their religion through traditional religious practices, but to not ruffle anyone's feathers in their practice of these things. So the fallacy was that God had set down his word and he left the rest to us. Kind of like, here's the map, y'all do what y'all are going to do. There's no dynamic work of the spirit, there weren't miraculous signs, and Sadducees even questioned whether or not there would be resurrection. And what I think is interesting is that we still kind of go to these extremes sometimes today. Um, We still fall into the trap of thinking that better performance, a purer lifestyle will make us more acceptable and pleasing for God. Or we say, you know what, I'm going to read the Bible, I'm going to enjoy some Christmas and maybe some Easter, but I'm not really going to let this transform my life in any way. And you know, There are many things that can prevent us from hearing God, but when we fall into these fallacies, I think we need to remember that we we are not prevented from hearing God because of our lack of holiness or because he stopped speaking. God still speaks, and he speaks to lead us, and he speaks to transform us, and he does this in all kinds of ways. He does it in signs and wonders. He does it in visions, in dreams, in messengers, in words that others give us, uh, whether from a stage or next to each other in the seats. Uh, He does it in the still, small voice, and he does it in silence. And we've talked about signs and wonders in this series, that uh, in biblical history and in the history of the church, God has worked in powerful and mighty ways. We always have to remember that these signs and miracles serve the same purpose as God's still small voice and of the word of God. They happen to lead us and transform us. They don't happen just because um, we shouldn't speak this or seek the sign or worship the sign, but rather rejoice in what they lead us to. 
So when we think about the burning bush that Moses saw, the purpose of that was not so Moses could see a cool pyrotechnic show, right? The purpose was so that he could lead his people um, out of oppression and into freedom. And when Saul encountered God on the road to Damascus, he didn't do that for the same reason, for a cool pyrotechnic show. He did it so that God's voice could lead and transform him uh, to help and serve others. So we don't seek the sign for the sign in itself, trying to be perfect so God will perform great wonders. But also, like the Sadducees, we shouldn't decide that God is done with the miraculous. Um, We've actually spent a good chunk of time in this series just establishing that, yes, God speaks in powerful ways. And I think maybe we do that because there can be times when we doubt that God still does that today. Right? Maybe we've never heard the audible voice of God. Or maybe you have at some point in your life, but now it feels like God has gone silent. I love uh, what the man says uh, about to Jesus when he has a sick child. He calls out to Jesus, I believe, help me with my unbelief. Um, Maybe you're disheartened when you don't see signs and wonders, or you don't feel as close to God as you always have. You know, the disciples felt this way too, right? When the when God said his, or when Jesus' physical presence was ready to go, and when he was ready to leave them, uh, they were discouraged. They were afraid of what that would be like. But he made them the same promise he makes us. He says, instead you grieve because of what I've told you. But in fact, it is best for you that I go away. Because if I don't, the advocate won't come. If I do go away, then I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world of its sin and of God's righteousness and of the coming judgment. So God will send a helper to us. He'll send us the Holy Spirit. And that power by which Jesus did miracles, the power that only one high priest could interact with once a year, it's not with us, but it is in us. So God drives us in with his mighty works, but the bread and butter of our lives, the way we interact with him day to day, that sustaining fire within us has to be God's still, small voice. Uh, I think about this in the beginning of friendships, and I don't know if you guys are like me, but like when you first meet someone, it's like, okay, we got to go like do something together to kind of build a commonality. So we got to go to coffee, or we got to go see a movie, so we have stuff to talk about. And as in the beginning of that friendship, you begin to build up these experiences that you just sort of live off on on that friendship over time. And eventually, y'all can just sit together on the couch, hang out, not talk, do whatever you want. Your mere presence together over the course of a friendship becomes enough. And so I think it's kind of the same with our relationship with God. We don't need the pillar of fire to know he's there. We just have to get better at recognizing the glory of his nearby presence knowing that God is still with us and still working with us, even when things aren't as exciting or dramatic as they used to be. Uh, There's a Charles Spurgeon quote that I think is really great um, that fits in well here in this idea that God did a mighty work um, but continues to do them as well. So he says, and it's the next slide if you guys got it. It says, We do our Lord an injustice when we suppose that he wrought all his mighty acts and showed himself strong for those in the early time, but doth not perform wonders or lay bare his arm for the saints who are now upon the earth. Let us review our lives. Surely in these we may discover some happy incidents, refreshing to ourselves and glorifying to our God. So he starts out by saying, it's silly for us to think that God is doing great things in our lives. 
but we do need to adjust the way that we think about them. And he goes on and gives some examples. He says, have you had no deliverances? Have you passed through no rivers supported by the divine presence? Have you walked through no fires unharmed? Surely the goodness of God has been the same to us as to the saints of old. God is still at work in your life, no matter how close or far you feel from him. We just have to remember and we have to adjust the way we see his work in our lives. One of the most beautiful stories of God speaking to one of us is the first call of Samuel in the Old Testament. So Samuel was David's mentor. He was a great prophet of the Old Testament. But he heard God's voice as a child. He says, Meanwhile, the boy Samuel served the Lord by assisting Eli. Now in those days, messages from the Lord were very rare, and visions were quite uncommon. One night, Eli, who was almost blind by now, had gone to bed. The lamp of God had not yet gone out, and Samuel was sleeping in the tabernacle near the ark of God. Suddenly, the Lord called out, Samuel. Yes, Samuel replied, what is it? He got up and ran to Eli. Here I am, did you call me? I didn't call you, Eli replied. Go back to bed. If you all know the story, this happens two more times, the exact same way. And then Eli realizes something. He says it was the Lord who was calling the boy. So he said to Samuel, go and lie down again. And if someone calls again, say, speak, Lord, your servant is listening. So Samuel went back to bed. And the Lord came and called as before, Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel replied, speak, your servant is listening. What a great story. I think, uh, you know, this is a story of God literally speaking, the audible voice of God. But I think we can understand a lot about the way God uses our own thoughts and the gentle whisper to speak to us in the still, small voice of our hearts. So I think one of the things that's really great is the first thing Samuel assumes is that this voice is the voice of a friend, someone he trusts, right? So the still, small voice of God is familiar to us. God is coming alongside our own thoughts and our feelings to speak to our hearts to then lead and transform us. And I also think it's cool that Samuel gets advice. So he listens to the advice of Eli with more experience, and he takes that advice. He listens to his mentor and decides what he's going to do. So I think we should follow this example as well. Listen to the wisdom of those who have walked with God longer than us, and when we feel God is speaking to them, or speaking through them, listen. When people have a word of prophecy for us, or just a word of encouragement, or just speak and God uses it, what the Holy Spirit is doing is mixing and mingling his power with our own to speak to his people. This is essentially what the whole Bible is, right? God comes alongside human beings to teach us and speak to us. The New Testament is full of letters from Paul or Peter or, or John to, to their friends. And God is coming alongside them to speak to those communities, but also to speak to us. And they do this in the context of friendship and in supportive community. So speaking what we hear from the Lord should be more often to our community than to strangers that we meet. I think some of us may actually be more comfortable talking to strangers about what they think God is doing in their lives than to those that we have to see every weekend. But I know that I would rather hear from someone that I love and know that loves me than someone I don't know very well. 
God engages people who know and love him and are seeking the best for each other to edify our communities. And so I would encourage you all who feel like God is speaking to you and wants you to share with others, um, speak out what's in your soul. I think make sure you're speaking in love and make sure what you say is in accordance with the scripture. But sometimes we feel a deep passion in our souls to speak and I think we should be encouraged to speak up. There's a great passage in Jeremiah 29 that talks about this passion in our soul to share with others. He says, if I say I will not mention him or speak any more in his name, here is in my heart as it were a burning fire shut up in my bones and I am weary with holding it in and I cannot. The voice of God speaking through us is not a fleeting impression it's not a stray opinion, and it's not a snap judgment we make of someone as we scroll through social media. It is a fire in our souls to make our community better and stronger for each other and for this world. So when you feel a burning in your soul, when you know what you have to say aligns with scripture and is spoken in love, I say speak um, and let God's spirit do the rest for us. Another important thing that I noticed about God giving, speaking to Samuel is that God speaks when Samuel tells him he's waiting and listening. God was waiting for Samuel's response before speaking to him. Samuel says he's a servant waiting on his master's voice. And so I believe our willingness matters. We have to be open to what God is saying and then trust what he's telling us. And then if you read the rest of the passage in Samuel, it's this really sweet story. And then basically the message God gives them is like, hey, your friend Eli, who's like raised you and, and you love, basically I'm going to wipe out his priestly line. I'm going to get rid of his sons and I'm going to do something different. So I'd imagine Samuel at that point is like, wow, okay, um, <laughs> that is intense. And so hopefully God speaking to your heart isn't uh, telling you that your mentor's line is going to be uh, wiped out. But it often may be strange, it often may be challenging, and it often may be uncomfortable for you. And honestly, I think when things feel strange or awkward or uncomfortable, that's often a sign that it's the real deal, since we don't really come up with uncomfortable things for ourselves to do very often. So if that's the case, then how do we hear it? First, I think we need to seek it. I think we need to look for God's voice everywhere and live with the expectation that God wants to speak to us. Um, and then, when we think we hear God speaking, I think we should respond like Samuel. Your servant is listening. So when thoughts come into your head, when you think of stray things, press in and ask God, is this from you? Is this something that you're telling me, God? I also want you to keep in mind that since our willingness matters, most of what God tells us is probably going to be more about searching our hearts and making us better people than telling us what the next step of our life is going to be or what someone else needs to fix or do. God often focuses on our calling, or I'm sorry, on our character before he calls us to our calling. God is more concerned about our character than what he calls us to. He calls for our transformation before he calls us into our leading. Because frankly, sometimes we're just not ready for what God has for us. And we know that the work of our lives is becoming more and more like Christ. But we, our hearts need a lot of work. Um, in Jeremiah, again, 17, he speaks what the Lord says, and he says, The human heart is the most deceitful of all things and desperately wicked. 
Who really knows how bad it is? So great encouraging words from the word for us. But honestly, we only have to look at human history to know that we're capable of some pretty garbage things in the way that we treat each other. We also know that we've often uh, made choices driven by our own selfishness. But God's redemptive love is constantly at work to overcome and to transform us. And as we walk with him, we become obedient to him rather than the ways of the world. God begins to change us. So the resolution to this is in Romans. And he tells us that we should not, don't copy the behavior and customs of this world. But let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. So here in Romans, I think we see the same thing I just said. God changes our character before he gives us our calling. As we learn to be transformed into a new person, as we learn to think differently, then we begin to know what God's will for us is because we're ready for it. The more transformed we are, the clearer his voice becomes and better our ability to understand it. Now, again, I don't want to fall into this idea of the Pharisees that the more perfect you are, the more God will speak to you, um, that we have to have everything cleaned up before God wants to talk to us. I'm just saying be prepared for God's voice to be more about our character in the beginning. And then as we become transformed, as we become more like him, God will reveal more and more of his will to us. The important work of our lives is bringing glory to him and becoming more like him. So even if our transformation, just our transformation, is the work of a lifetime, I really believe that's a life worth living. Uh, we also can't, be expect, we can't expect to recognize God's voice if we don't take seriously consistently reading God's word. Okay? God speaks to us. Uh, God can speak in any way he wants to. But he's also written this book full of his words to us, full of his love and direction and wisdom to us. And so like a GPS needs to be plugged in and updated. You guys see? I'm bringing it back around to the maps, okay? Uh, We need to sit down and connect with God's word daily in order to get used to hearing his voice. God has laid out his heart to us who he wants us to be and what his will for us is in his, in his word. So if you feel like you're not hearing God's voice, let's start reading it. We want to read the word so we can be transformed and our inner voice beginning to sound like him. So there's a story that Kim, Tim Keller says about a time he taught a sermon that he wasn't pre- very prepared for. So he put it together pretty quickly. He didn't rehearse it very much. And after the sermon, a friend came up to him and was like, you sounded just like C.S. Lewis in that message. And he was stoked because he's a huge C.S. Lewis fan. He's read everything the guy has written. He's written books about him. He's reread, and I mean, he's read it so many times, he basically begins to sound like C.S. Lewis. So the more you read something, the more you dig into it, the more you sit with it, you begin to pick up the cadence of the text. Uh, You begin to be able to craft phrases in that way that person would. So for those of you non-nerds who aren't readers, that's okay, but I have an example for you too, okay? So uh, imagine, think about a time that you've said something, like you've said a word or phrase and you're like, that's someone else's phrase, or you've laughed in a way that someone else has laughed, uh, or you've said something in a way that you think another person would. 
the more time you spend with people, the more you start to sound like them, right? And the more time we spend in the word, the better we're able to distinguish what doesn't and does align with the way God speaks. So we have to take reading his word seriously. Now, maybe you do all these things. Maybe you read God's word every day, you pray every day, and you had a time in your life that was so dynamic and exciting and you were so close to God, but you just don't hear him anymore. I would encourage you to not fear that silence. We've talked about how God leads and transforms us, but I think a third reason God speaks to us is even more important. And that's to know that God's presence is always with us. A presence that doesn't always require a voice and sometimes sits with us in comfortable and companionable silence. Uh, Frances Ridley Havergal, um, if you're a hymn nerd, she wrote the uh, hymn, Take My Life and Let It Be. She also wrote a beautiful book of poetry and one of those poems is called Silent in Love. She said, love culminates in bliss when it doth reach a white, unflickering, fear-consuming glow. And knowing it is known as it doth know, needs no assuring word or soothing speech. It craves but silent nearness, so to rest, no sound, no movement, love not heard but felt so shall the Lord thy God rejoice o'er thee, and in his love will rest and silent be. God is with us in the silence, in the noise. He can speak with an impression to our heart beyond words. And the way God speaks to us may transform and change over time, but we should never doubt that God is here for all of it in all of our new and changing seasons. I want to tell you one more story before the practical tips because I know this is a season that so many of us have been through where God just doesn't seem to be as present as he was. It's also C.S. Lewis, also a big C.S. Lewis fan. Um, It's in one of his Narnia books, The Voyage of the Dawn Treader. And Edmund and Lucy are major characters, and they've spent, had all these adventures in Narnia. And Aslan uh, is telling them, you're not coming back. And they're really upset about it. And so for those of you, uh, again, non-nerds, Aslan is a lion. He's basically the Christ figure in the book. And now he's appearing to them as a lamb. I know, sorry, stay with me. Super cool. Uh, But basically, they've gotten to walk and talk with Aslan. They've got to be led by him, protected by him. And so they're upset that they won't have that anymore. And Lucy tells him, it's you. We shan't meet you there. And how can we live never meeting you? But Aslan tells him, there I have another name. You must learn to know me by that name. This was the very reason why you were brought to Narnia, that by knowing me here for a little, you may know me better there. God is always drawing us closer. You are closer now to God than you have ever been before. The work of the scripture, that God's work is to get closer and closer to his children, humankind. So don't doubt that he's not still drawing closer to you. God is speaking to us. He's saying, I am all around you. I am here. I am with you. Breathe in. Lean in. Listen to me. Listen to my still, small voice. He loves us, church, and he wants to be near to us. 
So let's do our very best to open our ears and listen to him. Let's look at a few practical tips we can do to do this. So I encourage you when you start your day or when you read God's word or whenever you remember, let's take Eli's advice and pray Samuel's prayer. Speak, Lord, your servant is listening. I want us to try to pray this every morning this week and see what God has to say to us. And then earlier I talked about how important it is to dig into God's word. I'm going to encourage you to read for both breadth, so wideness, and then depth, so go deep with it. So for breadth, if you haven't done this before or you haven't done it in a while, I want you to seriously consider setting out to read the entire word of God. It's a big book, y'all, but it is a good book. And there are a lot of plans online you can use to do this. Right? So there's apps that give you uh, a way to start at the beginning and read a little bit every day. It's bold. Uh, you can also read a combination of the Old and the New Testament every day. One of my favorite plans they have, it's, it's a chronological plan. So what it'll do, it will take, uh, especially in the Old Testament, it's super fascinating. It'll take the history books and it will put in the Psalms that were going on at the same time. Or it'll bring in the words of the prophets that were going on in history. And so it really weaves all that together for you. Now most of these plans are plans that go for a year and you make a New Year's resolution with but it's okay to take a few years to invest in reading the work of God. If you give, get overwhelmed uh, or miss a few days, just pick back up where you left off. I remember when I was younger, uh, Rick Warren talked about reading the Bible, and he said we should consider reading the Bible in the same way we consider eating. Right? So uh, if you miss a meal or if you miss a couple meals or a day, you don't just stop eating completely, right? You just eat the next chance you get, and you might eat a little extra too. So let's think of the word and desire the word in the same way we desire a really good meal. Um, the other suggestion I have for you guys this week is then to begin to read for depth. And some of you may be really familiar with this practice. This is the practice of Lectio Divina, and we're actually going to spend some time in this practice today. So in Lectio Divina, you read a short passage five times. The first time you read it, you read just to hear the passage. The second time you read it, you read to listen for a specific word or phrase that you think God is speaking to you. And then in the third time you read it, you reflect on your word or phrase and think about why this may have stood out to you and what God wants to say to you. And then on the fourth time, you respond in prayer to what God is saying to you. And then finally, with a fifth reading, you contemplate, you simply sit with God and rest in thanks that he's spoken to you. So this might be a little awkward or a little strange, especially if you're not sure about this whole God speaking thing. And I understand that, and I definitely respect that too. Um, so we're going to do a shortened practice of this, though. We're going to look at a passage three times, and I want us to, as a community, listen to what God is speaking to us. So this passage um, comes from 1 Kings chapter 19, and it's after Elijah, one of God's prophets, is just exhausted. He is done, and he wants God to speak up to him, and God encounters him. So we're going to read a few times and pause to let us process what God does with a different focus each time. So let's stand and let's hear what God is saying to us. 
Here's the passage on the screen. You can close your eyes and listen to me, or you can read it to yourself if you prefer. But this first time, let's hear what God has to say and listen for a specific word or phrase that may stand out to you. It says, The Lord said, Go and out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. As you hear God speaking a specific word or phrase to you, we're going to go into the next stage, which is to reflect or meditate. Why do you think this stood out to you? What is God saying to you as I read it again this time? The Lord said, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire, and after the fire came a gentle whisper.